Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, hey, if you want to, open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. By the way, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, glad to have you. We're in a series here right now uh, from the book of Daniel, and we're spending like 11 weeks in one book, which is not normally the way we do things around the vineyard, but man, it is right now, and I'm so happy. Uh, This has been one of my favorite series to teach in a very long time because uh, every time I open up the Bible to do study and sermon prep, it's like fun. It's fun. The stories are really great. And uh, been really, really cool to see what God is doing in our little community uh, through this particular sermon series. But today we're in Daniel chapter 7. And the title of today's message is, This House Has Another Story. This House Has Another Story. And what I would like to do to begin here is I would actually like to tell you a story. And it will maybe require a little imagination from you. So maybe you need to close your eyes or maybe you don't. Depends on how your imagination works. But here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine the house from home alone. How many of you have that one in your head already? Right? Yeah. Isn't it amazing how, how Home Alone is like the perfect movie? Like it, it's like over 30 years old now and it's perfect. And two is also good. And three is an abomination. Like, can we erase it? Can we erase? Can someone take it off of all streaming so that no child or human will ever be? Anyway, I want you to imagine that house. It's that stately brick home. It's, it's in Evanston, Illinois, right next to Chicago. Shout out to Ted Kim. Y'all want to shout out to Ted Kim? Shout out. Everybody's like, some of the people who are new are like, who is Ted Kim and why are we shouting him out? Well, Ted's a vineyard pastor, dear friend of mine from Evanston. But I want you to imagine that, that two-story brick home. And here's what I want you to imagine. I want want you to imagine that you live in that home with your brother and your sisters and your mom and your dad, and it's your home. But here's what I want you to imagine. You, You only live on the first floor. And here's the other part. No one has ever been to the second story. In fact, in fact, in general, people don't know how to get to the second story. And then I want you to imagine that maybe your cousins come over. Maybe it's the holidays. Your cousins come over and your aunts and your uncles and, and everybody's being, you know, wild because that's how what family does. You get together and, and cousins go nuts, don't they? You know, you, you just can't control it. People lose their, lose their business. And you got that one uncle who's totally crazy and he maybe he has a little too much to drink, starts getting nuts, and, the, and the, there's just a certain volume at the house. And here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that, that no one is going upstairs. They don't really know how. And, and here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that sometimes, sometimes people hear, hear noises from upstairs. I want you to imagine that some people have said that they've heard walking. Anybody, you ever, how many of you have a house with two stories and you could, if somebody's walking around upstairs, you can hear them downstairs. I mean, I want you to imagine that you're living in this house. No one's ever been up, but occasionally someone says, I think I hear someone walking upstairs. And, and, and sometimes people downstairs 
It sounds like someone maybe is taking a shower. Anybody here ever been in a house where if somebody takes a shower upstairs, there's like a sound to it? Or, or maybe, maybe when you turn the water on, you ever lived in a house where the pipes rattle? Yeah, sometimes on the ground floor, there's like, a, there's some noises. But here's what I want you to also imagine. Not everybody agrees that there's anything going on upstairs. Like, in fact, some people say there's nothing upstairs. And in fact, some people have never heard anything. In fact, dad has never heard a sound from upstairs. Some people have. Some people haven't. Dad says nothing is happening. And, and here's, here's what I want you to imagine as well. I want you to imagine that that your mom has become obsessed with going up there. In fact, she's been talking to the family about putting a ladder on the side of the house and climbing through the window. And I want you to also imagine this. It's super weird. I want you to imagine that your brother Daniel, your brother Daniel has shown up to dinner and he says that he's been up there several times. Okay, so here's the situation that we find ourselves in, in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 provides really a shift in the whole book. The first six chapters, if we were to say it this way, the first six chapters of Daniel are life on the ground floor with maybe some rumblings and some noises from upstairs. But when we get to Daniel chapter 7, what's upstairs has begun to fall in to what's downstairs. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to read the first 14 verses. We're going to read about half of Daniel chapter 7 this morning, and it'll show you, I hope, what we're talking about this morning. It goes like this. Earlier during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and he saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning on the surface of the great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. And as I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up and devour the flesh of many people. It's really encouraging. <laughs> then the third of these strange beasts appeared and it looked like a leopard. It had four wings on its back and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. And then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and very strong and devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts and it had 10 horns. Somebody say 10 horns. And as I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little, this little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. As I watched, the thrones were put in place and the ancient, of, the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair was purest wool and he sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence 
and millions of angels ministered to him, and many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech, and I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by the fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken away from them, but they were allowed to, to live a little while longer. And as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that, every, so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal and it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. We'll stop there. We'll stop there. The first six chapters of Daniel, mostly on the ground floor, but in Daniel chapter 7, we're beginning to hear some noise from above. We have a window as what, to what is happening in the second story of the home. Uh, the first six chapters of Daniel have been, been sort of like external to him. They're, they've been things that have been happening out in the world. But Daniel chapter 7 through 12, this is like his interior journey uh, of his own spiritual life, but also it's what's happening in heaven. Or to say it another way, once we get to Daniel chapter 7, we're being drawn into the action that is happening above. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you for a moment about a philosopher named Charles Taylor and what he calls the imminent frame. Uh, anybody in here ever heard of what's called the imminent frame? Probably not. I would be surprised if you did, but here's essentially what the philosopher Charles Taylor means when he's talking about the imminent frame. It's his way of critiquing the modern secular age, and it's his way of essentially showing what the goal of secularism is in the day that we live. This is what he says. He says, the eminent frame is the notion that everything in the world is part of a natural order and that it's understandable without any reference to anything outside of itself and simply as a matter of causal relationships. And, and here's what he means by that. Everything that is, it is because of, of, of just, it's just chemicals. It's just, it's just atoms and quarks. It's just it's just the serotonin in your brain. It's just the electricity in your brain. It's just, it's just what you see. Life is simply what you see. And, and if you can't see it, it's only because there's a smaller particle that's underneath the things you see that make up the things you can. And you can, you can dig down and you can get out microscopes or you can get out telescopes, but it's all, it's all just stuff. It's all just, it's all just matter that we can name and organize and put on the periodic table and that's all there is. That's all there is. You might feel something in your body, but your feelings are just neurotransmitters happening in your brain. It's just, it's just hormones. It's just, it's just puberty. It's just chemicals. And that's what the imminent frame is. Imagine a piece of art inside of a frame. Imagine going to a museum and there's a piece of art and it's inside of the frame. And you might even look at that and go, that's really beautiful. And, and the modern secular age would say, that's all there is. Now, why am I hitting this so hard? I'm hitting this so hard because the reality is life is not what's happening inside of that frame. 
Life is not just what's the beautiful piece of art that is framed in a museum. It's not just what's shown to us. Life is the whole museum. There's this one little section and life is much bigger. Or to flip back to the metaphor that we started with, life is not simply what's happening on the first floor. This house has another story. That's what I want to invite you into this morning. This house has another story. Part of what we're going to unpack this morning in Daniel chapter 7 is the house that we live in, the world of the Bible is one that isn't just happening on the ground floor. There's also something that's happening up here. A couple things. A couple things. We probably should recap. So Daniel has a vision. The vision is of a storm. Maybe you remember that. There's a storm. And these beasts come out of the water. And it's a little bit weird to us. It's not exactly the way that we talk or imagine or understand the world. But anybody living in the ancient Near East would have instantly understood a good deal of what's happening in this story. So in the Old Testament in particular, but yes, in the whole Bible, anytime you see a storm, storms always, always represent chaos. Not only that, but the sea in the Bible almost always represents chaos especially in the Old Testament from the very beginning. Remember when uh, Genesis opens up, it says that the world was chaos and confusion and the Spirit of God hovered over what? The deep waters. Why? Because it's chaos. That's why. Like where does creation come from? Creation comes from chaos. God is bringing order to disorder. This is deeply, deeply embedded in the Old Testament narrative. And it goes all the way in, in, into the New Testament. You have Jesus and he's sleeping on the boat. And what's outside? Storm on the seas, right? Part of what the gospel writers are telling us is the things that upset human beings do not upset God's kingdom. Like the Prince of Heaven is not concerned with the things that make us anxious. He cares, but he's not upset. Does that make sense? So Daniel has this vision and it's like, out of, the, out of the chaos come these beasts. And we, we learn at the end of this chapter, because there's actually an interpretation for this vision, we learn that these beasts represent kingdoms. They're not just beasts, but it's empire. There's four different beasts. And we, we also learn that the one beast has 10 horns. And in the Bible, horns almost always represent power. Represent power. And, and, and you might be thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. But well, think about it like this. Think about, think about a deer for a moment, right? And you've got the doe, and she doesn't have any antlers, but you've got, the, you've got the, the buck, and he's got what? Antlers. And what do bucks do? They fight other bucks, don't they? Like, so there's this sense in which animals, animals with horns, they're the ones who represent like that which is like most obviously powerful. And so this one beast, which represents a kingdom, it has 10 horns. And, and what would your interpretation of a 10-horned beast be? All the power. Like this kingdom has all the power. And we learn later in Daniel that each of those horns represents a ruler and a king. Okay, so that's what's going on. Daniel has this vision. And what's interesting to me is that Daniel is living his life, but he's having visions. He's having He's having encounters with heaven. He's having encounters in the spirit realm. Another way to say it is he's, he's allowing his life to be pushed outside of the imminent frame. And he's beginning to live not only on the first floor, but he's living on the second floor because there's something happening above that is vitally important to the things that happen below. 
And then the story shifts to a courtroom and we see the ancient of days or the, the ancient one as our translation says, the ancient of days sitting on his throne, read for that God. So you got these beasts, you got the storm and then you got God sitting on his throne and then he's, he's sitting on a fiery throne and it says there's a river of fire coming out from his presence and we hear, we hear that and we think, well, that's really scary and there's a part of it that's maybe a little unnerving but, but here's what I want you to know. Fire, especially in this context, it always represents judgment. But judgment is not a bad thing. We've been culturally conditioned to assume that judgment is a bad thing. But if you, if you are awake to the biblical text at all, one of the things you might do occasionally is invite the judgment of God into your life. To say, God, would you begin to pour the fire of your presence onto my life? Here's why. A couple of reasons. Number one. Uh, fire doesn't just burn up and consume, but fire what? Purifies. How many of you would like to have a pure life? Like something that remains. You ever seen gold, you know, when it gets purified? All, like when you melt it, all of the dross, everything that isn't gold comes off. And then what you're left with is what? The, 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 the essence, like the periodic table, the purest stuff, right? And if you'd like to have your life reduced to the, the purest element. You need the fire of God. But, but here's the other part. Fires don't just purify. They don't just burn up and consume. But how many of you have ever been around a campfire on a cold winter night and you've been warmed by the fire, right? See, God's judgment is never, ever separated from his love. It's the same thing. There's, it's, it, it's not even, there's no distinction. It is God's love. And so, the ancient one is sitting on his throne and from his presence comes his fiery love. That's the vision. But then if you notice, the end is one like the son of man comes riding on the clouds and every nation comes to him. Who does that sound like? It's Jesus, y'all. It's Jesus. In fact, during Jesus' day, Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 10 were huge huge. It was like in the air. People were talking about Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 10 because they were anticipating a Messiah who would set the world right and put these beasts and empires who are ruling them out. Does this make sense? And so you've got beasts, you've got seas, you've got the ancient one, you've got the son of man. That's Jesus. That's the scene. And what's amazing about this is, is that Daniel is picking up on this because he's not simply living on the first floor of the house. He somehow maintained a life and developed a life that is living in the second story where the things that are happening above begin to filter down to the things below. He's pushed the imminent frame out. Okay, a few things. Three things in particular. Whitman, help me out. This is our, this is our outline for the morning. We're going to go really quickly here, but three ways to unpack Daniel chapter 7. Uh, number one, this house has an upstairs. Number two, prayer is a key and Jesus is the door. Number three, eternity is all around us. Uh, number one, uh, this house has an upstairs. Well, here's what I want to tell you this morning. Uh, this isn't it. Uh, you have a life. I have a life. Uh, we have houses and jobs. We have schools and careers. We have meals and showers. There's Monday and Tuesday. There's spring and fall. And it happens year after year. But I want you to know 
This is not all there is. There is more. How many of you have ever ached with the thought or the feeling there had to be more than life, more to life than what you were currently experiencing? Anybody ever had that thought or feeling? I want to tell you, you were not having that thought and feeling because the neurotransmitters in your brain were just right that day. It wasn't just some chemicals. It wasn't, it wasn't an atom or a quark that set off another reaction in your body. You had that feeling because the reverberations and the sounds from upstairs were reaching your ears and you were hearing something from beyond yourself. That's why you live with the notion there must be more. Here's why, because there is more. There is more to life. And here's what I want you to know. This is not all there is. There is more. How many of you have ever experienced a perfect sunset or held a baby and it baptized you into a moment of sublime bliss that caused you to realize there had to be more. A few years ago, Heather and I sat on a balcony in Maui with her mom and dad, and the sunset was so perfect. It wasn't even the sunset. It's hard to describe. But the moment was so perfect, the four of us could scarcely talk for about 15 minutes. To speak in that moment felt like it would have polluted something holy. It's the strangest thing. And then I remember holding, holding all of my children when they were born. When you hold a child when it's first born, you hold it in your arms and you think, how did this little guy get here? Like, how did, like, save me the biology. I know the, I like the biology. I'm committed to the biology. I hope you are too. But, but how did this little guy get here? It's the most wonderful thing. It, it doesn't even make sense. Like how, and why did I get you? How did this happen? And, and it causes you to think there has to be something more than this. And here's what I want you to know. When you started to think that thought, you were totally right. You were right. There is more and this isn't it. The world is not just atoms and quarks. Uh, life is not just the electricity that is in your brain. There is something beyond the eminent frame of materialism. Uh, right now, the Ancient of Days is sitting on the throne and he's ruling the cosmos. And all the disorder in the world is no threat to his power or will at all. That is the truth. Right now, the Son of Man is seated on the throne and every tribe and tongue and nation is surrounding him. And if you want to call it heaven, you can. Every moment of transcendence that you and I have experienced, whether it is written or whether it is music or whether it is nature or love or even a sublime performance is pointing to the more. I want to talk to you for a moment about sublime performances. Uh, who in here who in here is a sports person? Anybody in here a sports person? I love sports. Uh, here's, why, here's why for the most part we're sports people. I mean, I know there's some people who are like, I don't like sports ball. <laughs> yeah, we don't like you either. That's not true. You, we do like you. We, we, we will put up with you. But here's, here's why we love sports. Here's why we love sports. Because sports is, sports is a condensation. It's a distillation of all of life into two hours. And we love this idea that within two hours, somebody might do something that's perfect. 
someone's performance might like transcend what we thought was humanly possible up to that point. That's what we love. It's, it's like the distillation of everything that happens all the other days and all the other times. And I was thinking about it this week. Uh, I was thinking about like some perfect moments or some perfect performances. Uh, how many of you remember, how many of you remember back when Tiger Woods was good and he destroyed people at the masters? Do you guys remember that? Tiger Woods, if, you are, if you're too young, you don't know this, and I, it would be worth going on to YouTube and watching this. Tiger Woods was so good at golf that I don't even like golf and I would come home on Sunday, Sunday afternoon and I would not do other things so that I could watch Tiger Woods crush dudes, crush dudes. He buried people at the Masters. He was perfect. He was absolutely perfect. And maybe that's not your thing. We'll just change the key here for a moment. How many of you remember in 2011, this would have been the fall before 2012. How many of you remember when Kentucky played North Carolina and Anthony Davis blocked John Henderson's shot in the last three seconds and the game was over? How many of you remember that? I remember that. Why? It was perfect. Anthony Davis rises up and he blocks John Henderson, and he doesn't foul him. And, and not only does he not foul him, it's not even close. And what a perfect way to beat your rival, to block the shot in their face with 20,000 adoring fans going banana. It's just so right. Like as a Kentucky fan, so right. So right. What does it tell me? There's more. I, there, there's more. I know there's justice in this world. I was in... I was in Phoenix this week doing a vineyard thing and I was flying home and I was thinking about this message and for some reason, I have no idea, but for some reason, I remembered Carrie Strug. Who remembers Carrie Strug? Six of us. This is going to go over great. Carrie Strug, 1996 Olympics. I remember this and I even paid Delta the $5 so I could get the streaming internet on the plane. So I paid the $5, I streamed this on YouTube on my way home, and I, and I, because I was like, did I really remember this right? And I sure did, man. Carrie Strug, 1996 Olympics, uh, the Americans as a team, this is their first chance to beat the Russians and the Romanians. It's like really tight. Carrie has just done a vault, and in the vault, she has just torn ligaments in her left ankle. She has for sure torn ligaments in her ankle. And the team and her coach says, Carrie, we need you. We need you to give us one more vault. If you think you can give us one more vault, we have a chance to beat, beat the Romanians and the Russians. And Carrie goes back and she on a broken wheel with her tiny body, her, the tiniest body. You can't believe, like I could probably take her and just throw her, right? It's like smaller than a child, like a, a muscular little, little child, just like this, with her tiny broken body, she runs perfectly and does flips that don't seem possible. And she sticks the landing like this. And they beat the Romanians and the Russians. It's like this perfect, you can't, if you wrote it in a book, the editor would come back to you and go, you got to change this because no one's going to believe this, Right? Right, And what am I doing here? Every moment of perfection is pointing to the source of perfection. Uh, it's an invitation to go upstairs. Whether it's art, music, nature, relationships, babies, 
sports, Tiger Woods, Anthony Davis, Kerry Strug, all of that is an invitation to go upstairs to push the imminent frame back out a little bit further. Number two, prayer is the key. Jesus is the door. Well, how do you push back the frame? How do you go upstairs? Well, here's what I want you to know. Prayer is the key and Jesus is the door. Uh, we see it in Daniel's life in chapter six with the lion's den. Uh, who here remembers why Daniel got thrown into the lion's den? Because he was praying. Because he was praying. And when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, most Bible scholars think that he was 80 years old. And most Bible scholars believe that Daniel was taken into Babylon in his teenage years, probably 16, which means that he had been praying for 64 years. 64 years. Like, how do you push back the imminent frame? And how do you go from downstairs to upstairs? Here's what I want to tell you, church. You got to be a person of prayer. And by the way, Jesus is the door. And he says as much in John chapter 10. I think it's verse nine. Jesus says, I am the door. And anybody who would come through me, come through me will, will be saved is what Jesus says. Jesus is the door. Here's what that means. It means that if you want to go upstairs, you can go upstairs. And I'm not just talking about later after you die either. Okay. I'm talking about right now. Heaven is currently open because Jesus is alive and the, and the doorway to upstairs is currently available. It's exactly what we see in Daniel chapter seven. And the rest of the book is that there's some kind of thing happening. And the way you access the passage is through prayer. That's how you access it. How many of us in the room have ever prayed and felt the presence of God? Or how many of you have ever had a vision? Anybody here ever had a vision? Here's what I'm gonna tell you. It's normal for Christians to have visions. That's a normal thing. Uh, maybe not every day, but it's normal for Christians to have visions. In fact, if you're a Christian and if you're a prayer person, it would be, I would say, highly abnormal for you to live your whole life and never have a vision or some kind of a prophetic experience. That would be almost unthinkable. How do we do it? We pray. Pray. Like communing with the presence of God, like all kinds of stuff would happen. That's how you push back the imminent frame. Or to go back to the house metaphor, here's what I want to tell you. Uh, Jesus is the door, and here's what I believe. The door is in the kitchen. Go back to our little story. Like, well, if there's a door to the second story, where is it? Here's what I want you to know. It's not in the foyer. In God's kingdom, the door's in the kitchen. Because that's where the family gathers, right? Like, isn't that what happens at your house? Ain't nobody hanging out in the foyer. Like, you throw your dirty shoes there. Where does everybody gather? Around the island in the kitchen. And here's the other thing I want you to know about the door that leads you upstairs. Not only is the key prayer... But because the door is Jesus, it's like this really tiny door. It's tiny. And it's not about limiting access. It's just the sort of door that, that unless you were paying close attention, you might overlook it. And the people who most, most normally see the door first are children. And if you're going to go through it, you'll probably have to bend over. You'll probably have to bow down to go through it. That's the way this thing works. In a world that prizes a particular kind of greatness, it's easy to miss the door. It's easy to miss Jesus. It's, it's easy to forget things like prayer, but prayer is the way into the transcendent. Okay, number three, eternity's all around us. Daniel 7 is actually an example of this. Eternity is all around us. 
Eternity is all around us. Heaven, heaven is actually breaking in uh, things like dreams and visions. And, and the final thing that, that Daniel chapter 7 shows us is that Jesus is the eternal son and God's kingdom isn't going anywhere, right? So in Daniel chapter 7, we see, we see the, the contents of Daniel's prophetic dreams, which is what's upstairs is beginning to come to the downstairs. Uh, heaven is actually all around us. And in that dream, we see that Jesus is the son who's calling the nations to himself and his kingdom will never, never go away. Remember those verses? Whitman, can we put up verse 14 again? Because I just, I want you to see this. This is actually like, what does this mean? Look at this. He, who? The son of man, the one on the clouds, given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, They'll obey him. Look, his, his rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Whitman, you can just leave that up. Thank you. This is the message of Daniel chapter 7. The message is that one like the Son of Man is leading every race and nation in verse 14, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. Every kingdom in Daniel rises and falls. So if we were to take the whole book up to chapter 7, it goes something like this. Uh, Israel falls to Babylon... And then Babylon ends up falling to the Persians and the Medes. That's what we read in chapter 5 with the writing on the wall. But it wasn't just kingdoms, it's also kings. At the beginning of Daniel, you've got Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar gets what? Replaced. He gets replaced by Belshazzar. And Belshazzar gets what? Replaced by Darius the Mede. And the thing that is, that is constant in a book where all the kingdoms are not constant and all the kings pass away, there are two things in the book of Daniel that are constant. Number one, it is Daniel. And number two, number two, it is God's kingdom is superior and is not shaken. It is not shaken. And so what is, what is the invitation? Well, the invitation today is to tie into God's kingdom. It's the unshakable kingdom. It's the frame it's the frame we, we are being invited into. And, and here's why I want to put it that way. Because the truth is, most of us are living in a frame that's way too small. We're living in a frame that is way too small. There's more that's happening than the materialism of the world would have us believe. There's more that's happening. Even in moments of great upheaval, even moments where everything is going sideways. And here's what I want you to know. Right now, our country is about as sideways as I can remember in my lifetime. Everything is sideways. Uh, right now, political rhetoric is becoming political violence, even this week. Uh, right now, the economy is upside down. And, and for many of us in the room, what feels like up is down and what feels like down is up. Here's what I want you to know. All of that is just first floor stuff. All of that is just first floor stuff. That's the, that's the imminent frame. But there's another thing happening. And the other thing that's happening is God's kingdom and the invitation this morning is to tie into God's kingdom so that you can have access to a kingdom that will never be shaken. Listen, church, if, if, your, if your experience of life is only first floor stuff, you're going to get rocked. I just want you to know this. You're going to get rocked. And here's what I think. This is not the Lord. This is just Pastor Adam talking for a second. I don't think that the turbulence of the moment we're living in, I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. In fact, I think it's probably going to get more turbulent. 
And so, so the invitation is to tie into the thing that is everlasting, to live, to live upstairs as well as downstairs, to invite upstairs to become downstairs, to, to know the voice of the people who are upstairs as well as you know the people who live downstairs, to push back the imminent frame. If, if we've put our hope in a political party, if we've put our hope in the world of materialism, if the only way I can be happy is to acquire more and to buy more, if the only way I can be happy is to get another job promotion or to experience my career at the nexus, to get the corner office, if the only way I can be happy is to X, Y, and Z, I want to tell you we're going to be rocked in that world. We're going to be rocked in that world because that world, it never lasts. It will, it will not remain. There is one that will remain, and it is coming from upstairs. It has to do with the eternal son, and the invitation this morning is tie yourself into what is happening beyond you, and it happens through prayer. There is more going on. It isn't just here. Life is not just happening here. There is something from above. So if you're on the worship team this morning, come on up. We're going to sing one more time this morning. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.